0: Yes. Yes. Do you want to know how
1: my fucking week's been? I'd love to know how your fucking week's been. Go
2: on, tell us how your
1: fucking week's been. I suspect (laughs) I have an idea.
2: Yeah. Imagine.
0: This will give everyone a good idea. Imagine, if you will, that you're a trans person who published uh, a video on Hogwarts Legacy and why it's a problem, and that blew up on social media.
2: Yeah. Just... Let that rattle around in your minds. Oh, no, no, don't worry, I don't have to. As someone who has been that person who made that video about transphobia in a video game and then it kind of blew up on social media, you have my sympathies is maybe the word. Mm. Or oh, oh, you've had a week. In fairness, it's
0: not been as bad as I expected. Yeah. I very wisely stayed off social media on the Monday when I posted the video. Good call. Phoenix was checking out some of the response and largely the overwhelming response has been positive. Yeah. There's been some very good changes of mind. Like, I wasn't expecting that, but I've had a few people who were like, this got me to actually understand why JK Rowling is a problem and all of that and and why the game is an issue one person uh when I was streaming that Monday said they'd already bought it watched the video and then refunded it after finally getting it yay uh, that isn't to say that I have not seen some spicy responses oh of course the Jim Sterling the public Jim Sterling Facebook page is beyond my moderation. <laughs> Mm -hmm. So I've just kind of let them have it uh, Which I have to do Facebook's funny because it doesn't instantly expose you to wankers Like Twitter does So for the most part, much of my positivity when it comes to comments and things Is on that Facebook page But when the chuds discover a post Oh yeah It's just so much more of a hassle, and they flood quick. Yeah. Yeah, like, this happened when the viral video of me and... Well, when the video of me and Freaky Felicia, the hypnotism spot at Spectrum Wrestling, when that blew up on Facebook, that was another comment thread I had to just walk away from. Just walk away.
2: For my own good, you know? I mean, you've already done the key thing I recommend to people, which is, if if possible... Have so, have someone else keep an eye on it because I know I understand the the thought in the back of your head of like what if something that is more of a serious threat comes up I need yes, to be aware of it It's exactly. like yeah have someone keeping an eye on like you know is is anyone trying to dox you or shit But like if you can do that and walk walk away for a bit Hell yes
1: Yeah well I I think that that is uh it, it, it's sort of to a certain extent, exposes the uh, advantage of wealth and celebrity versus just celebrity. Yeah. Because all of those people with wealth and celebrity, they're protected. They can simply use their money to hire somebody to deal with that for them. Yes. Yeah,
0: J.K. Rowling just silenced someone this week with one of those slap lawsuit threats. Exactly. They had to delete... Their conversation with her and kowtow and grovel and and it's scary. Yep, terrifying. Like you know, she is a billionaire and can use like exploit and abuse uh, the UK legal system to literally strike someone down. She's got the death
2: note for speech. That's what she has. The fucking death note. I'll say this: there is a very specific script. You see people who are forced by. Mm-hmm. Rowling lawsuit uh, to Apologize will use and the Thing that always really gets Under my skin about it is that it Starts with some wording That's very I would like to Apologize yeah it's always Very I would like to do this And I'm like it always makes my screen Crawl because it's always the same fucking way it starts And I'm like yeah it's it's So creepy
0: Like just the sensitivity Of her and you know I'm glad that My video helped explain that for people. Like, there were some people who clearly haven't seen the video and were literally being the thing I was preempting and calling out. Like, you know, on the Facebook, one of the most prominent comments, "Uh, what exactly did she say that's transphobic? (laughs) It's like, if you actually watch the fucking video you get the full context, which yeah. J.K. Rowling skates by on. You know, we're not going to, like, re all that. Like, none of us have the fucking energy for that. But I did want to read just one of the comments I got on Twitter, which, if people follow me on Twitter, they will likely have seen this solid gold. <laughs> so I got a, a reply from Jonathan. Not the good Jonathan. Not
1: that Jonathan.
0: Not road rules Jonathan. Uh, not, you know... Mr. Short Shorts himself. Mm. Uh, no, this is um, Jonathan, who is a dickhead, uh, who replied to the Hogwarts video with, "Actually, I tell you what, um, your Duke ship."
1: <gasps> yeah,
0: uh, could you just step in, please? Ooh. Right. <clears throat> uh, yeah, please take take the microphone, Emil. Help yourself.
1: This is a real treat.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Today, I helped three women remove their dead name from their profiles, and made them searchable by their preferred names. One of them noticed I had my pronouns on my name tag, and told me even though it's just label tape, it still matters. Uh, I also bought the wizard game. I could start acting like the transphobe you think I am, and when a woman whispers... And I'm not saying that bit because he literally fucking dead-named someone. Mm Mm-hmm. When I asked for her name, I could just do my job as written instead of taking the time to make sure she never has to say that name again in our building. Oh, 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 shame on me. Royston! Royston! I've proven I'm a
2: good ally! Thanks, Samuel. I have nothing to say other than if your allyship is conditional on trans people being nice to you and making you feel good about yourself, you are not an ally. No. Fuck off. You don't do it for headpats. If you even for a moment, even even for a moment, have the passing thought, I could remove my allyship, I could just stop respecting your rights and doing the right thing because I feel like you've been a bit mean, you don't fucking believe their rights. You think they're a privilege that you get to dole out. They're a treat that you get to hang over our heads if we behave well and fuck off with that shit. And it's been pointed out, right,
0: it's a threat. Yeah. What what that was was a threat. It was yeah, I could start acting like a transphobe, wouldn't that suck? It's it's like the the old abusive um look what you made me do. It's, it's yeah. look what you're going to make me do. It's also it also reduces this shit to being transactional. Yeah. which it's not. And the only transaction should be coming from me. Hey. Oh,
2: it's I hate these people in particular when they use the word ally for themselves. because, And I've had this conversation with so many people. Ally is not a term you get to apply to yourself because you stop short of throwing slurs at a particular group. Ally is a thing that you do. It is something that other people of that community... Decide on an ongoing basis whether you are fulfilling.
1: Ally, just like fist, is a verb. It is an ongoing
2: action, and it is not something you ever get to apply to yourself, and it's not something that you ever get to earn as a permanent state. It is an ongoing declaration of, at this moment, I feel safe around you, and I feel like I can trust you and count on you. Exactly the shit that, like, people have been throwing in the fucking bin this week. Yeah. Yep. And, and let me just, like, make a recommendation to
0: anyone, like, acting like that. Like, look up the word alliance in the dictionary. Like, that is where the word comes from, alliance. And that's something that's agreed upon, not enforced, like, not, not, not thrust upon you. I don't have to have an alliance with you if I don't want one. And if I don't want one, you literally, by the very definition, can't call yourself an ally. As Laura said, you don't apply it to yourself.
1: Yeah, that's it. I'm immediately suspicious of anybody who would use the word ally as a self-describing noun or, or, you know, that that's just... Yeah. Right away, you're telling me something about yourself that the performative nature of your allyship might very well be more important than what you're doing to help people. Indeed. It's been used
0: so much that, like... You can hardly blame some queer people who like are averse to the term at all now. Like, sure, you hear ally and and even myself. Like, I appreciate allyship, but there is this part of me that's so used to hearing that term and seeing how hollow it is that internally I roll my eyes a bit.
2: Like, I- I'm gonna put this in words I've talked about previously. There are a lot of people who I will see. Once a year when something bad goes down Or during Pride Month Tweet with no other context Hashtag trans rights Or uh, trans women are women Or something like that with no other context And the thing I always try and stress to those people is You can't just say that and do nothing else mm-hmm. Because like, for all the other problems with it The one that I I always think about is I don't know what you mean by that I don't know whether you mean I wouldn't throw a slur at you, I don't know whether you mean I would come out and protest but only if the government put a law on paper that literally said trans people won't have rights anymore and no other wording would matter, I don't know whether that means you will be here for us when we are made illegal and you will break the law if you have to to respect and support us. I don't know what trans rights means. And this week is one of those weeks where it's like, yeah. when you say trans rights, I don't know where on that scale you're going to fall. And your actions on weeks like this are the things that tell me well what you actually think.
0: Yeah. Also, just, I uh, want to give a little shout out to a, a wrestling promotion I've not worked with, but they make me want to. A company called uh, Wrestle Island... Spoke out in favor of trans rights, started losing followers and all that shit, and then just doubled down and just said, fuck off, we don't want you at our shows if you, you know, can't handle that. And as a wrestler, it's just, you don't see a lot of that. No. The companies I've been working with uh, have been, like, I'm working on a storyline at Sovereign Pro that actually discusses transphobia a little bit, like, as a, some of it allegorical, but like, it's clear, like. The implied transphobia And Sovereign Pro leaned into it harder than I did For the first bit Like on their commentary and everything And I might be taking part In a big queer wrestling show later on And True Grip is doing a lot of showcasing So, because I, I I know this shit gets heavy And we're all sick of it So I just yeah. wanted to From some experiences I've had recently At least give us a little bit of a positive one Of a, you know Yeah I'm not Wrestling transphobes, well, I'm certainly not hmm. after Scotty Too hotly pulled out of a match. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Which we've turned into oh. a fucking awesome storyline at Sovereign Pro. The sh- that last show, Heavy as the Head, is now on Vimeo. Check out, like, at SovPro on t- Twitter, they'll have it there. I'm really proud of it. I kicked a man's fucking head off. Not literally. Yay. Hello.
2: Hey. That is to say, I'm a little bit tired today. <laughs> That's all right. Totally understand. Yeah. Uh, as someone who has been that that person in games media in the past and didn't make any coverage of this game because I I know how this shit can be. Yeah, I get it. Totally understandable. But yeah, it's Poguesition. Um, I know yeah. we're like we're like fifteen minutes in. I'm gonna very quickly. I'm very quickly gonna do a self promo thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the day this episode comes out, February sixteenth, Who Hunts the Whale is out. Fuck yeah! It, it, it's out as a, as a full book. Uh, people in the UK have started getting their copies today, as we're recording. Physical copies have started showing up at some bookshops today. Uh, they're on their way to various various countries as we speak. If you like the thought of a of a novel uh, about the video game industry, and definitely definitely a fictional AAA company that's not a pastiche of existing things in this industry, that is funny and sweet and at times depressing, but tries to end on a hopeful note about what can be done about the horrible state of capitalism and what it is doing to the people making games, Yeah, go check out Who Hunts the Whale? Uh, I wrote it with my lovely wife, Jane. I am so proud of it. I've started to hear from people who've read it and the feedback has been really, really positive. Go check it out. Mm-hmm. I will say, like,
0: if any audience is going to find this Topic this book relevant It's going to be podquisition listeners You know like this is what you talk
2: about Here every week I wrote this book with Podquisition's audience in mind Like the podquisition listeners are Basically the the target That I aimed this book at
0: You see folks you're duty bound Guilt bound even You better be feeling guilty I wrote this book for you read it Right <laughs>
2: <laughs> ah.
0: Yeah like I'm really proud of you and Jane for putting that together. Like, Thank you. It's fucking hard to write even a little bit of fiction. So yeah, just well fucking done and I'm glad
2: it's finally out. Hooray. Uh, who's who's played games this week? Comrade, have you, you played anything this
1: week? Um, I have played Tell some us. things this Okay, fine. So, <laughs> uh, well, the, the fir- I guess the first thing I played that is um of note this is a weird one it's a game called red tape uh-huh this just came out uh a couple of days ago as of recording i think it released on valentine's day and it is a first person adventure game with a very striking aesthetic oh and an interesting sense of humor that is very short and very simple And, and, it's weird. It's, it's a weird game. Okay, so it's, you are an angel who, through what must be a paperwork error, has wound up in hell. And hell is a corporation, Hell, Inc. Okay. And you are in the office building of Hell, Inc. And each of the floors is a different department. Mm Mm-hmm. And there are nine floors in hell. Do you see where this is going? Mm-hmm. Right. And so so you have your human resources department, Your, uh, there's the cafeteria floor, <laughs> There's all of these are representative of the different circles of hell, and they are populated by various uh, mythological and historical figures who are in this conception of hell. Uh-huh. And... Visually?
0: Holy shit. I'm just looking it up. As you said, visually, I saw the first, like a little clip and and immediately was like, holy crap, this is interesting.
1: Yeah. It is very interesting. It uses very low resolution texture 3D environments and Uh combines them with two dimensional character models that are just cut, uh, they're collage photography images
0: yeah what i like is it it evokes sprites like in early shooters like doom where Mm -hmm. like they
1: were flat
2: Mm -hmm.
0: except it's jarring because they're you know they're not sprites
1: yeah they're quite clearly paper cutouts it's a really cool cool look
0: Uh
1: it is not complicated uh it does have some puzzles and the puzzles are Some of them are actually kind of clever, but it is really all based on did you observe the environment well enough to see a thing that you will need to interact with? Yeah. None of it is especially maddening in terms of where it's hidden. You just have to think about some of them, or I had to think about some of them a little bit to realize, oh, this item is going to be here. But the structure of the game has you doing the floors three at a time. And so you will have to pass between the three floors that you start at to get items. But then later, once you get up to higher floors, you'll have to revisit them again because there might be something else in there that you need or people you need to talk to again. The story is silly. The game is silly. And it has a really sort of just goofy sense of humor that I appreciated. It it hints at it having some kind of, like, you know, it it, 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 it it wants, I think, to convey some corporate anti-capitalist critique on some level. And I think it, it, it kind of is doing that, but it's not taking any of that particularly seriously either. So don't go in thinking that that's going to manifest into something brilliant. Yeah. It's a silly game, but it's a very... Cute, fun game. Takes about two hours. Yeah. Uh, Not a lot to it. And that was actually, it took me about two hours, and that included uh, me going through the first three areas a second time because I thought that I had screwed something up. And then I think a glitch got me stuck in the elevator, and so I had to restart the game. But even then, that whole experience took about two hours, and it was a delightful, quick little two hour jaunt, and I had fun with it.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. I'm going to have to see if it uh, works okay on Steam Deck and uh, give that a try.
2: Yeah, that would be interesting. It seems like it is on Steam. It is on Steam. Yeah, from from the looks of it, it started as a Game Jam game. Mm-hmm. And looking at some photos of the like 48-hour Game Jam thing that it spawned from... They had a they had a real good little idea and I'm I'm glad when something like that gets fleshed out.
1: Yeah, and it's like six bucks. Yeah. So not bad. Um they did send me a copy of that and uh and and I'm glad they did. It was it was good. Yeah. They got your tastes well there. Yes, yeah. They they knew who they were targeting with this, for sure.
2: Yeah. Uh, Steph, what you been playing this week? Right, I've got to talk to you
0: about Wanted Dead. Oh. I have just started on
2: whatever the fuck this is. <laughs> I've got to talk to you about Wanted
0: Dead. Mm-hmm. So, Wanted Dead, right, it's... The store page claims it's by Team Ninja. I say that because, like, I couch it in doubt. Not because it is strictly necessarily untrue, but... Because what the fuck is this game? Apparently there is some lore in it that does tangentially tie it to Ninja Gaiden. A very minor thing. But for the most part, it's an action shooter that focuses a lot more on the hack and slash than the shooting, though it does have very simple cover and gun mechanics. And you've got a katana... For hack and slash, Mm -hmm. a standard assault rifle type weapon and then a sub weapon that you can pick up from enemies. Like I say, instant snap to cover when you're near walls and little crouchy things and very competent third-person shooting and very competent hack and slash. A neat little thing with the hack and slash is you can include a handgun with the combos. So, you know, you can shoot them with the pistol, then that'll chain into a different sort of katana attack. There are two ways of interrupting enemy attacks. Uh, You use the sword to parry, or if they do an unblockable attack, you press the gun button instead, uh, because the pistol is just hit triangle, shield hit uh, the nearest enemy. That's about it for the combat
2: side of what this is. That's where we have to talk about the the fucking nonsense I'm already how much of this have you played? I'm curious how far you are in. I'm many, many, many hours in. And by that,
0: I mean I'm at the end of chapter two, <laughs> because each chapter is
2: hours. Yes. I don't think I'm nearly as far in as you, but, like, the the vibe I'm getting right now is, what if a mid-2000s, like, middle-A game developer tried to be making, like, a, a Yakuza Games nonsense bullshit yeah i i don't think you're
0: quite ready (laughs) because it's the intro goes fucking hard right with a sort Mm. of a lot of political shit coming up um that might make you make you expect some hard-hitting critique but it it becomes too involved in its own fucking nonsense for that so like i say for the first couple hours it's a competent hack-and-slash shooter. Mm. Bit repetitive, a little bit unbalanced at times, like, because the enemies will just attack from all fucking sides and spawn without warning. So there's a little bit of trickiness to that. But I'm playing it and I'm like, there's a sort of good-bad vibe to this. I'm liking how weird it is. Like, the cutscenes look like PS2-era cutscenes. Sort of that era's FMV sort of level. The accents are all over the place. I'm pretty sure that none of the American characters are played by Americans. Yep. It's got such a mishmash of accents with the bizarre animation. The
2: dialogue has felt like poorly translated through languages in places. Like there's a lot of like it feels like sentences don't quite connect with other sentences happening. Mhm. Yeah. Um so everything about it is slightly surreal as a result you've got hmm.
0: this mission it, it takes place in hong kong but like the only accents i've heard are like various uh european ones british american for a given value of what an american accent is and and that's been about it for the characters but it starts to get strange after a couple hours or sort of partway through the first chapter when you pick up a chainsaw mm. and saw <laughs> into an enemy and a little censored image appears over the, uh, the enemy being cut. So like this little red bar with censored over it that actually covers nothing because... It's, it's not big enough, so the sprays of blood are like flying out from behind this censored bar, and it came out of nowhere. I'm like, okay, this game has been silly, but straight-faced until now, then suddenly this fourth wall break, and I complete the mission, and then there's downtime, where you can get the jukebox and put on like covers of songs like uh she works hard for the money like <laughs> there's cats everywhere all over the police station cats are just wandering around there's a crane game two of them in fact where you can pick up models of the characters and um little toy poos and things and still within the realm of of understanding you know very very standard but it still comes out of nowhere Like I've been playing this game for ages Was kind of conditioned into thinking It's a one note game Then suddenly the tune changes So you've got these crane games The next part before you go into the mission You talk to a character called gunsmith And they just start talking about their dating lives And and really sort of going in hard With soap opera level drama And resolutions mm. Just in this cutscene While they're tinkering with a gun Then it cuts to them at a ramen stand where uh, one of the squad mates comes in and starts doing a, a spoof of a film, uh, where he tells them to apologise to the pork in the suit. Yes,
2: yeah, so you've got to you've got to apologise to your pork by saying "see you soon." See you
0: soon. Which um, people are pointing because I had to post video of this whole thing. Uh, people and and part way through him talking about this, suddenly there's a narrator. Yes, after hours a narrator with an australian accent who just interrupts the uh, description of the soup the the and the ramen to explain the history of ramen and what the two characters were thinking about how much they wanted the ramen so of course that leads into a rhythm game mm-hmm. of course of course that 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 just <laughs> leads right into a rhythm game where you press buttons to these jaunty tunes to get your characters to eat fucking ramen and then we're back to more shooting and and i've played through that and i'm at the second boss which is just like i say some of the balance
2: in this and the checkpoints can be quite far apart oh oh yeah no this this game is unforgiving in places yeah yeah it
0: adds to the old school vibe You know, really puts me in mind of that sort of 7th generation sort of... The mid-range kind of games you'd get on the 360. But with some sensibilities that go back to the PS2. Yeah, the balance is a little off. Uh, The second chapter is not quite as good as the first because the enemies are synths that are all just Al Pacino at the end of Scarface. Like, just bullet sponges. And they're attacking from all sides with hammers. And then that second boss is a nightmare. But it's not quite the same level of consistent weird as Deadly Premonition. Hmm. But it's reminding me of that in a positive way. I mean, it plays better than Deadly Premonition. Like I say, the hack and slash, the shooting, very competent. Yeah. But several times I've been playing and just thought, what the fuck? That came out of nowhere. Suddenly a Joaquin Phoenix reference? What? Just so many times. Most of it between missions, the briefest part of the game, they just pack in weird, Uh, and it's at that level. Right now, my opinion may change as I continue, but right now it is definitely in that bad-good category. This is a bad game. Mm. It's messy. Uh, Like I say, the, the action itself is competent, but it's glitchy and the balance is all over the place, and it can be a bit tiresome. Uh, the combat—it's—it doesn't vary much, but my god, I haven't been this confused since Deadly Premonition, and I love that. Uh, so yeah, I'm not sure it's quite worth what it is. I think they're charging like sixty bucks for it. I think at forty, this would have been amazing. Yeah. I don't discuss games in terms of price uh, very often, but yeah, this is sort of—I I wish it was packaged as a middle shelf game with a middle shelf price i think that would position it really well
2: yeah i think very specifically like in this case it is warranted to talk about price in terms of how it feels because it definitely feels like it is trying to emulate a very specific era of weird middle tier game design yes in an era where there was less availability of game reviews and you would pick up a thing on a shelf that looked cool yes and <laughs> like play it and be like yeah this is fine this is f- what the fuck did i buy yeah this would have been in a bargain bin in GameStation if it was on ps2 and i'd have bought it it would have been one of those things that there would be a bunch of copies in the bargain bin and you'd go why are there so many <laughs> copies in the discount bin it looks really cool and the, it would be the thing you'd be talking to everyone at the playground about. The, the sort of like, yeah, I played... I don't know how to explain to you what I found in in the in the bin at the shop. I do miss
0: those days. I yeah. I found a lot of good games by judging a book by its cover. Shadow Hearts, mm. Shadow of Memories, probably another one with Shadow in the title. Shadow Madness? Shadow Madness, why not? Blood Rain uh, I got for like a Fiverr HMV, along with a PS2 game called Gift that no one has heard of because it's shit. And it was always a a gamble. I once got the European-only PS2 Altered Beast. Oof. Which,
1: my God. Not a good game at the best of times.
0: No, I think the original Altered Beast is fucking pants. But it's not a patch on (laughs) Altered Beast PS2. There is a reason they released it in Europe and then thought, you know what, fuck this. But yeah wanted ted i am really glad i'm playing it right now
2: from from the sounds of it i'm about half as far in as you are Mm -hmm. and i've had just enough of a taste of this to go i don't know whether the gameplay is going to be engaging that i'm going to want to play this the whole way through but i sure am interested in giving this some time yes you know i'm a simple
0: girl i like some simplicity in my action sometimes i I've always been a big fan of Dynasty Warriors. So just running around, like, shooting someone with a pistol and then launching into some swirly katana attack and just doing that, like, really straightforward Here, are guys kill them. I'm fond of that. Uh, I quite like that. Uh, I also like the... I, I really like the upgrade system because, again, it's a... Well, there's a, a standard skill tree system. Uh, you collect skill points, Um by doing anything, uh, by, like, racking up kills to doing the minigames. And you get them at such a, a decent clip that you always feel like you're upgrading. And there's some fun stuff in there, like, you know, you can add t- to the gun combo, you can give the... Because you've got three squad mates, um, and each one of them has a, a skill on the tree that you can get them, you know... You can unlock sleeper holds for one character and stuff like that. So some nice... Nice little skills, but the gun upgrades, you get them at every checkpoint in a level. This little drone comes down and serves as a checkpoint, and if you select gun customization, it will always say that something's been unlocked, and you can add upgrades to the pistol or stone's default weapon, and simple attachments, you know, iron sights, magazines, barrels... But every single time you hit a checkpoint, there will be something with some significant drawback and some significant advantage. So they're not straight upgrades. They're just more options, depending on what you want to emphasize. And randomly, some of those uh, uh, unlocks will be skins for the guns for no reason. Just here, have it purple now at this point in the game if you want. And it makes every checkpoint just that little bit more interesting. Like, I could just hit the checkpoint, move on, but every time I stop, I look in the menu, I am either, like, this gives the bullet more stopping power, which is the only stat I care about on that thing, whack it on, Oh, I got a new skin, suddenly. It just makes every checkpoint that little bit more interesting. Um, so, yeah, I. it's not a good game, but it's in that Aliens Fireteam Elite bracket of, like, now, this is a bad game, but
2: I am... Fucking playing the shit out of this so yeah yeah i've been playing some stuff this week i want to talk about mm-hmm. uh it's it's that time of week again laura's got new playdate games to talk about it must be nice it is nice thank you <laughs> uh this this was a this was a good week uh i very much enjoyed the the uh the new playdate games that showed up this week mm-hmm I, I'm gonna I'm gonna get one of, I'm gonna talk about one of them and get it out of the way first and then talk about the one that I think is the more interesting of the two but they're both real real neat mm-hmm. the first one is called spellcorked and it is a simple little potion building game um we've talked about a lot of things like this recently things like potionomics those kind of games about making potions and selling them to people this this has its own little spin to it so you are in like a uh Dungeons and Dragons-esque fantasy setting, but with a little bit of modern day tech, you are a trainee potion maker who has just opened up a shop in a little community that doesn't really understand magic that well, but they understand you make drinkable liquids that can make things happen and will sort of email you the gist of what they want to happen and hope that that's something you can do. Okay. So you've got a grimoire of potion uh, potion recipes that basically starts completely empty, and you get a little bit of an initial signposting to help you along your way, but generally the idea is that you might know what a base ingredient is you need to start working on something, but there will be little points along the process where you can change certain elements of how you prepare this potion, and you will find out what result that leads to, and that'll get marked down in your book, and you will get better and better over time at uncovering what will lead to the results that people want. The humour is really cute, right at the start of the game there was a really nice little example that set the tone very well, which was someone who, someone wanted to be, uh, wanted to be happier, they wanted their emotional mood changed, so they were like, can you make me a strong, like, coffee's like a potion, can you make like a coffee that will make my happiness go up? And I was like, cool, that's fine, I used the little crank to Gr- Finely grind the uh, the coffee beans in a pestle and mortar, and do the various things to it. And then the next day, I get an email from someone going, "I am too happy and I'm uncomfortable. This is not my normal state of being, and I don't <laughs> like it. Can you make me a coffee based potion that will make me like less happy? Because this it, it, it's weirding me out that I'm this. I'm a little manic. Can you bring me down, please?" So you then have to go and ha- work out how to make the opposite of this nice uh, bring your emotions up coffee potion you made yesterday. The way you make it have the opposite effect is you don't grind the beans at all. You just put whole coffee beans in. You're like, no, nah, I'm not preparing them at all. You like completely over over mix the, um, the potion cauldron and like burn the beans. And you then get a nice little happy five star rating being like, this absolutely ruined my day. Thanks. Thumbs up. I mean, it sounds like you're just a barista. Uh, I, I use coffee as the starting example just because the first ingredient you have to work with is coffee beans, but you start getting, like, right. specifically magical ingredients. and Some of them are mundane, some of them are magical. You are mixing and matching things in varying ways.
1: But I kind of like the fiction that you're just a barista. It, I think it's why
2: they start with, with coffee as a thing, because you are very specifically in this community that's like, I don't really understand what magic is, but I know coffee and you can apparently make me you can make my existence different can you make me a coffee that is magic that's
1: so interesting
2: yeah and from there you start like slowly building up like okay you want to you want to have like this thing happen to you it's not coffee but it's still a liquid can
1: i can i try you on this weird thing i do like that it's drawing attention to the fact that there is very little separating alchemists and baristas
2: right it is just can you make a drink for me that i will feel how I want to feel afterwards yeah. can you can you convey that in a liquid there's a bunch of little mini games for like how you prepare your ingredients and stirring a cauldron and stuff i like the little online reviews you can read each day of your previous orders you did also a thing i will say is notable i'm like i'm i'm a, i'm a bit over halfway through the first season of playdate games this is to my knowledge or at the very least like to my awareness the first playdate game in that first season that has really made use of the fact there's an accelerometer in this thing Ah, i didn't really realize like i think i knew it but i hadn't really processed it that there's like a tilt sensor in the playdate and so far it's only really been used for like when you've made your potion you pour it from the cauldron into the little bottle by turning the the playdate sideways and sort of watching it pour into the bottle but that's a cool thing yeah and then you you have a portrait screen that is the packing sheet that you have to sign uh, because you've got the screen that way up for a second. Like, it's a nice subtle little use, but it did highlight to me how underused that has, like, that has, I don't really think, come up at all so far in the season of Playdate games. It's, it's, It's a really neat little game, I'm really digging it. That sounds cool. The other one I want to talk about, and this is like the one that might be the Playdate's killer app for me so far, the one that I see myself playing the most of, is a game called Inventory Hero, (laughs) and I'm gonna start by comparing it to Loop Hero, but I want to be clear that I think that this serves a very different niche in terms of gameplay, even if there are some base similarities. So much like a game like Loop Hero, this is an RPG where you are not responsible for like picking attacks and picking what attacks to do, You are an auto-running character, attacking enemies as you get to them, and running along on your adventure. The difference is, you are constantly picking up um, items in your inventory, and you have very limited space. I think when you start the game it's like six inventory slots, and whenever you defeat enemies you are picking up new bits of equipment, new weapons, healing items that you can consume, you're also picking up things that are actively trash that you need to clear out to make space, and to start off it's fairly simple, like, it starts off pretty slowly and you can look at like, oh hey, I got a new helmet, what's my current helmet's little number next to it, is this higher, Qu- cool, I'll equip the new better-statted helmet. When it's going slowly enough that you have time to stop and think about those, those checks, it, it's pretty easy. But where it starts escalating is you are picking things up quicker and quicker and quicker and quicker as you go, and sometimes you will pick up uh, new gear that is actively a lot worse than what you had equipped. Sometimes you will pick up things that look like healing items, but have a minus number and will actually decrease your health if you consume them. Uh, You start getting deliberately thrown things that uh, if you if you aren't paying attention will screw you over. And it is about managing this very small number of slots, because the, the instinct you get very quickly is I need to be throwing stuff away or equipping it as quick as I can to make spaces in case something really cool and powerful is about to enter my inventory and instead of entering my inventory I defeat a monster and it just gets thrown away because I had no space for it. But that that dance between, I need to make space, and oops, I r- rushed and did a thing that negatively impacted myself, is a really neat loop. As I said, it reminds me like in an overview sense of something like Loop Hero, but where Loop Hero let you pause, it gave you breathing room, it let you design the challenge that was ahead, and gave you a lot of room in your inventory to long-term build a build here, Everything is impermanent, if you take enough damage, uh, bits of equipment on you will be destroyed. Uh, nothing sticks around forever, you are not building a permanent set of stats, you are just in this moment, what do you have equipped and what are you consuming and are you alive? And the friendliness of it is really, it's really good. It is a really fun pick up and play short little bursts adventure. I particularly enjoyed the first uh, boss battle I came against where, Not only was it, like, very quickly throwing things at me for my inventory, but there was one specific item that was coming up that was the thing that let me deal, like, noticeable damage to the boss, but it was being thrown in alongside similar-looking things that were actively a problem for my inventory, and having to fight my own gut instinct when that rare item I need comes up to not just instinctually dismiss it from my inventory. Mm -hmm. It's real neat. I like this a lot. Nice. <laughs> it is one of the more mechanically simple games that I've played on it so far. It is literally just left and right on the D-pad and A, to equip or consume, B, to throw away. You're just selecting slots and either yes, I'll use that or no, get rid of it. Yeah. But it all comes together really well. Yeah, that's that's, that's we- this week's Playdate games. It's It's been one of my favourite weeks of, of Game Drops, this one. Both of them have been real... Very much in my my taste.
0: I want to play that. Eh? Where's where's mine?
2: <laughs> you can you'll get yours soon. You'll get it.
0: I want it. I want it
2: now. Well, what about you, Conrad? what What have What have you been playing this week?
1: <laughs> well, I have been, uh, of course, playing more Satisfactory, and what? I. What? Yeah, I know it's shocking. I, Fucking hell, Conrad. Well, I'm. I am trying to take little bits of time away from it because I, I have reached uh, again now on this second factory, uh, one of the points at which. You aren't really making progress. You're just you're at least not up upward progress. You're making outward progress, I guess is the way. You're preparing to make upward progress, but that takes a long time. So I'm yeah, you know, it feels like I'm not getting a lot done, so I'm less motivated to play it, and I spend, you know, longer periods of time not playing it. But the reason I, I wanted to talk about it a little bit today is I learned something, and I just thought it was kind of interesting. Um, A lot of games of this type have some sort of uh, ecological element to them, right? Mm. One of the easier examples is Factorio, where uh, in Factorio, as your factory expands and produces more pollution, it attracts the enemies in the surrounding areas to come and attack you. And there are some other impacts as well. And satisfactory doesn't, at least as of this point in its early access, f- seemingly feature any kind of uh, you know ecological element, really. At least that's what I thought. But it turns out... That because of the way the game is designed, there is a metaphorical ecological impact issue hard-coded into the game. All around the environment, there are, you know, there's foliage, there's plant life, and you can collect it and use it as a resource. Um, in the early game, you you will, to a certain extent, but you don't need to use a lot of it. And ultimately, other things come along that are better. So the only reason to remove vegetation past the first few hours of the game is because you want to make space for your development, right? You want a clear cut. And what winds up happening is the save system in the game has to create an object every time one of these pieces is removed. And so the more foliage you remove from the environment, the more bloated your save file gets and ultimately will reduce performance capability of your game. (laughs) Uh And I I just kind of love that because in other games, this is often a setting you can turn off. Mm, Yeah. Right? And this is, it's not hard. To build around this stuff, you just build up a bit, you know, and and you're fine. You can leave all the shit there. <laughs> but the fact that uh, if you wanted to do it the way that was realistic and practical meant ultimately making the thing non-functional, kind of brilliant. Kind of amazing. And I hope they never fix it. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so that's, that's what I... I I've been doing Insatisfactory. Um, Steph, what about you? Um,
0: well, I know the only other game I've really been playing this week, I started Final Fantasy VIII, but like literally just started it, so talk about that later. Plus, Theater Rhythm's coming up tomorrow. Oh, fucking, I've been playing the demo, and after spending ages fine-tuning both my television settings and the Switch uh, in dock mode to reduce like any sense of timing and lag because that's what we got to do these days i remember when i just put guitaroo man in the ps2 and i could just play it but yeah the timing is so like you've really got to fuck with it once i've done that fucking brilliant absolutely loving that so i'm looking forward to the full one tomorrow uh but the other one uh the only other game i've been playing to any great degree this week uh laura played as well it was announced as one of those little surprises that Nintendo liked to do uh, at the Nintendo Direct, uh, and Metroid Prime was just suddenly there on the eShop, and I got it because I've barely played it before. I don't know what made me drop off it, but, like, I played it back, you know, GameCube days, and, yeah, I'm playing it to, you know, a far greater degree now, and it's, yeah, it's solid, it holds up pretty well for its age yeah it's it's a unique kind of game like
2: yeah
0: there have been games since that have like tried to emulate it but as this weirdly isolating like justin's been tweeting about it as well and he he doesn't like isolation and this really evokes that of just being lonely and alone yeah plus the the little things like the scanning system and the traditional metroidvania stuff uh just gives it its own sort of unique flavor uh that is still kind of unique
2: yeah it it is a game that i i, I think its tone holds up really well that mm. sense of it is just you alone and a bunch of things that want you dead and a almost unfathomable space yeah but a space that as you progress really does start to loop together better in in your head to the point that it's like oh yeah 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 it's this what seemed like this impossible maze is now a lot more manageable um yeah i i really like the um the scanning system and the role it serves not only as how much lore do you want about this world and how engaged in that are you but also as here is some hints about the things you're fighting to give you an idea of where to start with them yeah i think it's a really natural way to do that stuff that doesn't feel like you're being tutorialized if you don't want it i've played this game many times over the years and usually i i don't usually get to the end and if i do it's with a lot of walkthroughs and what am i doing where am i uh i don't know if this is new to the switch version or if it might have been introduced in the wii version of trilogy but this version has an option in the settings that I really appreciated, which is if you've spent ages wandering around not making progress towards the next thing that will unlock new doors for you, you can get a little thing to pop up at the top of the screen that goes hey do you want to press plus and we'll not show you how to get there but we'll show you on the map, the room you're looking for is over here in this direction. How you get there, work that out. But like you, at least know a cardinal direction and which biome will get you towards progress. And that little bit of nudging occasionally was enough that I had a much smoother experience with it this time. Yes. Well, it's one of those. I've talked about this a couple times
0: lately, like Metroidvania design. Mm. Um, on more than one occasion with this, I was, I got a new item and was like, okay where (laughs) where yeah yeah where am i using this fucking thing and metroid prime is especially well unlike other like games in this style this one is so direct about that structure Mm. it's not here's a new item play around with it while still doing the game as proper this really is you get here to get that thing, so you can open here, so you can get that thing to get that thing. It's very direct. The the conceit that's usually the flavor of a Metroidvania is this game. Yes. It's a game entirely about getting the thing to unlock the thing to get the thing to unlock the thing. Yeah. It's very direct with it. And I'm not sure how I feel about that. I do kind of wish there was some more more variety or, or at least just more time spent engaging with the game world rather than going direct uh to the gameplay loop of it i I explained that very poorly, but basically I just I would have liked the game to have not been so laser focused on get the item to open the door
2: yeah, I think the only place where the original prime gets away from that a little bit is to get to the end of that game there are there are some artifacts you have to find that have clues leading to where they are and at the end once I had all of the power-ups and could do all the things and needed to just look at these clues and work out what they meant that was when I felt like I was just cool I know what the world is and the spaces, and I have the tools use them to 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 start exploring with less of a focus on yeah but where's the next key essentially the next key yeah and that does sort of change the pace up a bit, but I I recognize what you're saying about like the the bulk of this game is very find the next thing to find the next thing to find the next thing. Yeah, with very little sort of flexibility.
0: Also, I unlocked. I'm at the point currently where I unlocked the wave beam, and I swear I saw purple fucking doors everywhere. <laughs> yeah, and I look on the map, and I only found one, and it it was an optional bit that led me to a like a rocket upgrade or no like an artifact or something. No, 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 it was a missile upgrade, uh, I think. And, and then nothing, because it was just to get uh, a bonus. And I've looked on the map. I've looked in the Chozo Ruins, Laura. I've looked in the Magmore Cavern, Laura. I've looked at Snowy, Snow, Snow. And I, I can't find any more purple doors. And I, I know I've seen them about. And I just feel like I'm just sort of staring at this
2: map, hunting around, uh, rather than playing the game. As much as I really enjoy Prime, the, the biggest area where it suffers when compared to 2D Metroid games is that that three dimensional map is just not as simple to process and like scan over with your eyes.
0: Yeah, like I appreciate it. In terms of, it gives you a good idea of how each room is structured. Mm. So if you're looking for the way out or something, if you look at the map, it's like, oh, I can very clearly see the tube that connects this room to that room. It's very good for that, but it is very overwhelming. Yeah. Um, I do like that it reminds me a bit of the map in uh, The Crystal Maze, the hit (laughs) channel for activity-based game show i guess you could call it mm. um god i might look up some episodes on oh, fuck i want to look up episodes on youtube now oh it's it's worth it that that show holds up well oh my god i know richard o'brien got fucking problematic by the end of it but my god that was a good show
2: look i i understand i understand i have the same i have the same soft spot for that show yeah like if
0: it was when they were trying to plan things They'd spend ages trying to work yeah. out how to solve a puzzle and then you'd just get a fucking harmonica around <laughs> and just start playing it around them. Um, yeah. I might have to go look at some old crystal mazes.
2: But yeah, I, I think I think you hit the nail on the head with the map. It's it's great when you're in an individual room for understanding the layout and working out where you can progress from that room. But once you've explored enough like full area maps can be a bit much to take in yeah but yeah i i i made it to the end credits we'll talk about the credits when we get to the news in a minute oh, but, yes. uh, yeah but yeah i i didn't get 100 percent of all the collectibles and all the lore things because i had some other work stuff coming up and i was like you know what i respect my time i'm just gonna i'm gonna fight the final boss and be like yeah i finished that game i think it was like 15 hours had a great time nice
0: yeah yeah I will say, like, it's it's like, what, 40 bucks or something? Uh, 30, I think. Yeah, yeah, not as bad, but, like, I don't know. I wish there'd been a bit more to
2: it, like, as a remaster. it's. I don't mind the price in a vacuum, and I hate to do the comparing game of price to game of price thing, but having so recently picked up Hi-Fi Rush for the same price a brand new game that wasn't a remaster of a 20 year old game that felt like it was chock full of very new things yeah it's one of those things where like it felt like the sort of and i'm not i'm not gonna deny this is a nice looking reimagining and it plays it plays well it's got some nice additions but like yeah it feels like an awkward asking price yeah i'll tell you what really hits me about it is if
0: you look at this metroid prime remastered that's one of three games you've got uh, there's a Metroid Prime Trilogy hmm. which they once released on was it the way like Metroid Prime trilogy yeah, three games yeah, yeah one price now separating them piecemeal if they're 30 a piece that's ninety dollars for the Metroid Prime Trilogy which for some people that value prospect might be great but I I wonder how many people if this was a three games sold as a trilogy for $90. I wonder how many people would go for that.
1: Especially when you could probably get a Wii, mod it, and get Metroid Prime Trilogy on the Wii for much less. Yeah. Uh, what about you, comrade? You played anything else this week? Um. Well, the only other thing that I did, which is because of Steph doing a similar thing, um, I was watching Steph play Commodore 64 games on their Commodore 64 Mini. Yeah, yeah,
0: it's got 64 games on it, Conrad. Do you get it?
1: I do. I do. Not one of them is Whizball. No, Whizball's not there, and the only one I recognized from watching you scroll through the list as being something I was like, oh yeah, okay, that that one's not bad. I wouldn't play it today, but it's not bad. Is uh, Monty on the Run? I think. Ah, the the mole. Yeah. the, platform with mole. the mole. Yeah. 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 Uh boy. <laughs> that mini has a and, and so I was watching that, I was like, I know there are good games on the Commodore sixty four. I need to go play those. And yeah. instead <laughs> There's no whizbull. No.
0: There's no Uh, Is it Day of the Camel or Attack of the Mutant Camels? Uh, Attack of the Mutant Camels, yeah, I believe that's it. The old Jeff Minter one. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there's there's not one single Dizzy the Egg game. And I think those are, like, such notable omissions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Really notable. Like, for me, the CC64 is Dizzy the Egg. Mm. The very first game I ever got was Dizzy Prince of the Oak Folk. To not have a single one, I'm sure there are rights licenses. I think Codemasters has it, the, the property but
2: it's very conspicuous. If I was asked to name a Commodore 64 character,
1: it would probably be Dizzy. Mhm. For me, it's where the Lucas Art, the early LucasArts games were. Right. those were the big ones for me. But um, but there's a, a bunch of other things that I remember playing and enjoying and I I went and got my own collection of ROMs that's curated because let's be honest the Commodore library is so, so vast and full of trash. Yes.
0: On the subject of that, I've talked about it on stream, like, I was very poor growing incredibly fucking poor growing up, and didn't get a C64. Like, other people by that point had... We would have been maybe Dreamcast era by the time I got a C64, mm. and my evil stepdad um, would... Go to, like, car boot sales and stuff. Sure. And we ended up with, I think it was two giant tarpaulin bags, two gigantic uh, tarp bags, about briefcase-sized, bigger than, like, suitcase-sized each, full of cassettes. Just fucking full, many of which were stained, uh, and it was a gamble because you'd put it in and wait ten fucking minutes for the cassette to load, yep. and then you found out that no, it would just hang on the loading screen, and you can't play Gremlins for fuck's sake. Um, but every now and then you'd get a uh, a winner. Yeah, but yeah, like you said, like this was guys coding at home. Mm-hmm. It was sort of a, a a silver age for like British game development because so many of it mm. was like someone in in a garage in the uk just making a game so there's loads
1: yeah it's absolutely ridiculous and so i went ahead and got this collection called c64 dreams right and boy um (laughs) it you know i i scratched the surface of a couple of things right yeah you know, not a a ton of it. Uh, there is some stuff in there that's like, oh, you know what? I remember that. I wouldn't, I'm i not going to play that. You know, like the Elvira games are on there. <sighs> Elvira had a, a couple of text, or, well, text-based graphical adventures. Yeah. Where you would, you know, explore creepy mansions and, you know, do things for Elvira. The, the first one is a direct sequel to the movie which is one of my favorite movies of the 80s. like I love Elvira Mistress of the Dark. I think it is a just delightful film yeah, but I I did uh, find in you know, there's a, a lot of licensed stuff in general, you know in this particular compilation. yeah uh and and in the medium in general, uh, I did find a Spider-Man game in there that I, have on disc somewhere here, uh, that game is so close to being really, really, really good. Right. Like, it's so close. It's a 2D platformer where you are Spider-Man and you're trying to rescue Mary Jane from Mysterio, who has uh, taken uh, Mary Jane to a production, a film production studio. And so you're moving around the sound stages and... Spider-Man looks like Spider-Man, which is, you know, not always something that you can say in, in these games. No.
0: Sometimes it, you've really got to use your imagination. Yeah. I mean,
1: it, it, he's presented in three colors. He's blue and red and white for the eyes, but it works. Yeah. And he's got a pretty good animation to him. He, he's got sort of a, like a striding, jaunty march that's like, hey, that's Peter Parker. He's feeling himself. Like, it's, <laughs> there's charm here. It's
0: always a treat when a Commodore 64 game features, like, good animation. Yeah. Because so much of it was very simple, blocky stuff. Boulder Dash, which is one of, like, two or three good games on the C64 Mini, has an idle animation. And when I was streaming it, chat lost its shit. Like, oh, fuck, that's an idle animation. He's tapping his little foot. Um, always a treat. When, when it's like that and it's not, what the fuck am I looking at? Well, and the sprites are small.
1: Like, they they do not take up much of the screen area, which is another more rare thing yeah. in this era of games. He's quite small, so there's a lot of open space to build levels from. And so it's a a screen-by-screen screen puzzle exploration game where you'll have these segments, sections of grouped rooms and you'll have to pass between them and solve puzzles to open up access to other rooms in the group and work your way through them all until you open the door that leads to the next one. That's the format. And, you know, you can get uh, about four floors worth of space with maneuverability for Spider-Man to move in it out of this area they've delineated for the play space. And it's interesting because it is... uh, there's a lot of wasted space by a huge profile image of Spider-Man along the one side of the screen. (laughs) So they had a lot more they could have done, but they chose instead to put a very well-rendered, for-the-time, pixel Spider-Man there. And if I'm remembering correctly, uh, because I did when I was playing this on stream the other night, the other day, I did turn on the trainers that came with this, and so I wasn't taking damage. So I was like, I'm not fucking with this. But I think that that Spider-Man profile transforms into a skeleton as you take damage, which is one of my favorite things in these old games when it would come up. There are a few games that do it, and it's such a treat to have these like just completely unnecessary large graphical representations of your character dying. Fantastic. Uh, I really like this game, uh, except it is one of those puzzly games where you are expected to crawl over every inch of the environment at times to find the hidden switch that does not actually differ in appearance from another block in order to trigger a necessary thing to open up your path forward. It does it so much, just to a ridiculous degree. Uh, Also, it's got a terrible jump, but that's kind of to be expected of the time. Uh, The control is not uh, particularly precise. It's hard to get those quarters sometimes, but it it's surprisingly well-designed for a game of its era. That one really stood out to me. It does not have music, which is another trait in these games of this era. That, But that, the music, that's a different beast entirely, right? Because there are a lot of instances where you would truly prefer... That there not be music in this Commodore 64 game. Right? Right. Like there's a lot of bad music in Commodore 64 <laughs> games. Oh yeah. True. Painful, irritating, annoying stuff. And so that makes it when there's no music in the game, noticeable. Yeah. But not necessarily bad. No. <laughs>
0: Uh, There were a couple of games with, like, surprising bangers for music. Oh, God, yeah. But, yeah, most of it
1: screeches. One of the games that I was looking for, hoping to find in this list, and I will probably have to hunt down, is um, one called Agent X2.
0: Uh
1: And it is a silly spy spoof type thing. But what it really is, is three different types of games Shoot 'em up, you know, like a side scrolling horizontal shoot 'em up, a weird elevator action y type, you know, go through these various platform screens to find the code that you need to go to the next level. And then I don't know, I think the last one is actually just another horizontal shoot 'em up, but those have incredibly good music in them. Like, so good that I have, like, actually just listened to that on its own from time to time i love that but i would rather have no music than bad music for sure yes
0: i'll run down a couple of the c64 games that stand out to me sure there are like two playable games on it boulder dash which i mentioned which is a sort of visually you'd look at it and think like dig dug or something it's a big map you're underground Most of the level is just like dirt and there are gems and boulders and that's it. You dig around and if you dig underneath a boulder or a gem uh, and then like expose a hole underneath it, it will fall. Uh, Obviously, that's how you die in this game. You will get crushed if you don't get out the fucking way. Uh, So the idea is to collect all these gems while moving quickly enough uh, that you don't run out of time, but not so quickly that you make a mistake and either get crushed or trapped, at which point you've got to just sit there while the timer runs out, feeling terrible. Really simple, straightforward, surprisingly good animation and stuff, and, and quote unquote physics, because the boulders won't stack, they will fall, like to create a pile. Right. Which is just nice to say. Another game that is worth pointing out is a game called breakdance which is essentially it's three or four different games that are more or less based around simon
1: i did watch you playing some of this
0: yeah so the first game is is simon one character will do a dance move which will either be up, down, left, right on the joystick, or a button press, and there'll be different animations. And you get, like, the, a vague visual clue as to which one to do. You know, a dance move will point one finger in the air so you know to press up. It doesn't actually tell you what which sprite means which direction, but you figure it out. So the first one is basically that. Does a move, you do the move. Does two moves, you do the two moves. It's, it's, it's fucking Simon. But what they then do is they present another game, which plays the same way, except it's also Space Invaders. So you are your little guy doing dancing. A row, subsequent rows of other dancers are scrolling from the top of the screen, ready to push you into the river. And you get rid of them by standing in front of one of them copying their little sequence of dance moves, and then they disappear. You move to the other one. You copy its sequence of dance moves. It disappears. And that's the game. And I got so absorbed in it on stream. Like, I went quiet as I just got in the zone and focused. And it's genuinely good. Simple, straightforward. But I don't think I've seen it since. I don't think I've seen... A Simon pattern matching game and Space Invaders put together in in this really clever way. Mm -hmm. The rest of it's shit. (laughs) The rest of these games are shit. Um, The biggest heartbreak was uh, Heartland, which I could only remember what it looked like. For decades I've been trying to remember what this game was. Because I remember being just entranced by it Because the visuals are so interesting Just these sort of weird busts and statues And you you fight by throwing top hats at things Really pretty game for its day It's so shit I saw it on the fucking C64 Mini I saw the cover art By the way, C64 uh, game art Some of the best Utter nonsense Not always reflective of the game, but some of the best. Um, But I recognised the art and got really excited, and I was like, it's Heartland! That's what it was! And it's... I can't even work out what to do. Sometimes you can go into a door, sometimes you can't. I found the best way to get into a door was to waggle the stick desperately, because just pressing up or down won't do it. You can go onto uh, the next screen by side-scrolling, and there will be an enemy, like a wizard or a zombie or whatever, there so you just take damage borderline unplayable as far as i can say but at least now that i know the name i can watch like a let's play on youtube or something but Mm. what a shame and yeah you know there are loads more but they are mostly rubbish
1: there's one other that i played that i i did want to bring up because it is uh i don't know it just made a mark on me Mm. it it It's called Beachhead? Beachhead. Beachhead. Now, this is a, like, a a military, you know, you are, it's like storming the beaches at Normandy type, you know, beachhead. Right. Uh, But it's kind of fascinating because it does, it does combine some multiple game types in a very cohesive fashion, like... You start the game on a map and you're moving your fleet of ships uh, towards the shore, but you will have to pass through a, a section where the enemy has put weapons emplacements and mines. And so this then takes you to a game mode where you start with your ship on one side and you can, you can control your throttle and you get some you know, left and right movement to turn direction. But you are a little bit slow, and you have to avoid these mines that are stationary and torpedoes that are coming in at intervals across the playfield. And every ship you lose is one less ship that you then have with the tanks and the guns on them for the subsequent stages. Mm Mm-hmm. And so once you've gotten as many of the ships through as you can, then you move closer to the shore and then you come into contact with the enemy fleet and they will first have a air to ship engagement where they're coming at you with planes and you have to shoot them down with your surface to air or anti-aircraft guns. Mm -hmm. And then once you've dealt with that wave and, you know, possibly lost more ships there, you have to do ship-to-ship combat, firing the cannons, and this is more like an artillery duel thing where you set the range and you fire, and then you see where it lands, and then you line up the next shot until you destroy a ship, and one of their ships is doing the same thing to you at the same time. So there's like five, six ships you have to destroy and try to lose as few of your own as you can. And then then you get to the beachhead, <laughs> the name of the game, and every ship that you had now drops off one tank that you have to make through this very complicated obstacle course uh, sequence. And they're all a little bit different, but also all kind of fundamentally the same. It works very cohesively. It's very challenging. It feels good to get to the beachhead with a, and have a bunch of tanks lined up because you were so successful in the earlier stages it's a really good game for something of its era and kind of holds up now uh, apart from just being sort of visually super basic. But everything's also identifiable as what it is. And you could even see similar uh, types of visualization just being used on a war planning map uh, to indicate boats and shit like that. It's... Uh, it's surprisingly good. There's a sequel and I've never played that, but I, I might have to check that out because I'm, I'm interested, uh, to see where they went with it. But yeah, Beachhead was a, was a good game and, and I'm probably going to play some more Commodore 64, uh, for a bit here and, and, and track down some of these other ones that I remember being particularly good.
2: Nice. Yeah. Uh, Right, shall we crack out a couple of bits of news quick and then call it a day? Let's do it. We've done a pretty long one already, so uh, I'll throw some quick things at you. We had a lot to get through. We've talked about this before, but this is a continuing story. Um, Saudi Arabia's public investment fund owns a larger share of Nintendo than they previously did. They now own around 7% of the company. Saudi Arabia, pretty fucking terrible track record. Not ideal that they're slowly but surely trying to buy up
1: chunks of Nintendo. We'll see where that goes. I mean, this is this is not limited to Nintendo. They uh, and and not yeah. limited to uh games or and they are really really on a move to make broad investment in as many entertainment industries as possible.
2: They're, they're trying to buy pop culture that people have emotional investment in is one of the things they're trying to do.
1: Well, they they're trying to ...prepare for a future where their oil power is diminished. Yeah. They are trying to expand their reach and influence financially into other areas so that when uh, we finally get our shit together and and don't completely rely on oil, uh, they have other places to have leverage and, and power. Indeed.
2: Uh, we alluded to this earlier, but we had another Nintendo-related story this week. Metroid Prime's remastered doesn't credit any of the people who worked on the original game. Mm-hmm. Well, it does. Well, yes. <laughs> they literally credit
0: the people who worked on the original game as the people who worked on the original
2: game. <laughs> yes, no one no one gets mentioned mention by name, but, like, thank you, everyone who made the original game.
0: Fucking shitty.
2: Yeah, this... This was brought to light by um, a a uh, engineer who, who worked for Retro Studios on the original game, uh, Zoid Kirsch, said he felt let down by the lack of individual credits. Uh, While many studios did amazing work on the remaster, I'm um, let down Metroid Prime's remaster does not include the full original game credits. I worked with so many amazing people in the game, and everyone's name should be included in the remaster, not, a, not just a single card like this. Mm-hmm. Which... Yeah, that's that's fair. It's sad. It's still happening. It feels like you should probably be credited if someone takes your source code and puts new assets on it. <laughs> yep. Like I've talked about this in
0: Jimquisition's years, going back years. Like I remember doing one in 2019 about some some strategy, some ge- like game or other. I think it was an XSeed game where they just didn't put credits on and and we've had stories of people's names being taken off the credits if they dare to leave the studio before the game is out like
2: unfortunately this is a recurrent issue with the metroid series it seems at the moment just no matter who's working on it because we had this with metroid dread there was a bunch of people who went uncredited on that game seemingly as punishment for not staying on the team until the very last day the game shipped and as such not being credited. This keeps happening with Metroid games, and it happens with other games as well, but like, it's not a good luck.
0: Nope. Not at all.
2: Not at all. Um, a couple of quick updates to the Activision Blizzard King acquisition, because of course. Apparently, if um if Microsoft fails to purchase uh, ABK, Bobby Kotick will absolutely remain at at Activision Blizzard King, which, yep, that makes sense. If he can't get his nice fat payout, why the fuck would he leave?
1: Yeah. That makes it sound like a threat, doesn't it?
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: Microsoft's next strategy. Yeah, this twat's gonna stay if we don't buy him. Yeah,
2: Fucking hell. Yeah, this is from this is from unofficial reports, but it's ba- the, the, the reports doing the rounds uh, with Fox Business. Basically, are they do sound like if you want Kotick out of ABK, let Microsoft buy them. Yeah, because if you otherwise he he absolutely will not be leaving.
0: But like I've said
2: before, like.
0: Activision is so far beyond saving in its current incarnation in terms of integrity, ethics, being a company that I could certainly buy something from in in anywhere close to a good conscience. The rot is so in deep, like we need to remember that the board unequivocally circled the wagons around that man when he came under fire for his part in the abuse at Activision Blizzard. Hmm. I bring it up every single time I know I do But Bobby Kotick once threatened to have an assistant murdered yep. And they don't even dispute that one yep. That was just, oops, how a bad he, he did an oopsie Yeah, like they literally presented it as that Like, oh, you know, mistake, let's move on
2: Yeah,
0: And it, and it, it starts at the top, sure But it's in the heart of that company now you have to gut it, and not just Kotick, although he is where you should start. Like, every executive needs rinsing, as far as I'm concerned, out of that company. It's everyone who is in a position of leadership and has been is culpable, some of them directly, some of them indirectly. Yeah. Yeah. Bobby Kotick staying there is would be really shit, but I don't want people to think that everything will be okay if microsoft buys it yeah and that everything's fine because no a lot of bad people will still be in there and the king the king of the shit bobby codig will make out like a bandit like he is gonna walk away with god knows how much money to add to his billions
2: his infinite money pile yeah yeah um the other the other bit of Activision Blizzard king news and it's not a huge update but last last we heard between Microsoft and Sony Microsoft was complaining and going oh, Sony won't answer our calls they're being really mean they won't engage with us why aren't they listening to our why won't they they answer when we ring them this week uh the response is that Sony has accused Microsoft of obvious harassment this was reported by Axios. This is specifically with regards to the fact that, as part of the FTC litigation that's going on right now, Microsoft wanted to see files on Sony executives, including performance reviews, uh, as part of discovery. Basically, asking for a lot of like very specific internal staff information about specific staff at Sony, uh, and Sony, you know, responded to this by saying, Microsoft's demands for performance reviews for SIE's leadership is obvious harassment. Even in employment cases, courts require a specific showing of relevance before requiring production of personnel files. This is not an employment case." Which is fair, uh, it seems that the judge who was presiding has confirmed that Sony has made a good point that like, yeah, this is, this is Microsoft asking for stuff they really do not need to be asking for. This is the continued battle of Sony and Microsoft trying to go, Whoa, is me, I'm being bullied. The, the, the two, us two big corporations are being very, very bullied.
0: Mm-hmm. It's like that tagline from Aliens vs. Predator. Whoever wins, fuck
2: them. <laughs> I believe that's how the tagline went. And lastly, this happened just as we were starting recording the episode today. We've got the first proper details of Square Enix's first blockchain game, Ugh. Symbiogenesis. Ugh.
0: Of course it's called Symbiogenesis.
2: Yeah. Thanks, Square Enix. It's a
1: terrible name.
2: Sim- yeah, because Square Enix. I gave this a very brief skim before recording, but I deliberately didn't look too closely in it, because what I skimmed was fucking wild, so... Oh, I can't wait. Symbiogenesis will be an interactive Web3 digital collectible art experience on the Polygon blockchain. It will offer a unique experience built around digital collectible art that is tied to a storyline players will unfold in a virtual turn-based adventure. Okay, we finally have like a genre. The art evolves with each strategic move a player makes, The project is set on a mysterious floating continent where unique storylines unravel based on information obtained by holding digital collectible arts that represent different characters. Players can unlock numerous engaging stories about this secretive world and its inhabitants by holding or trading digital collectible arts and then earn them by completing various missions. Players can also replicate and sell digital arts for their character, sharing their unique storylines with others and working as a community to complete the mission. I am gonna laugh.
0: I'm gonna laugh, laugh, laugh when Square Enix inevitably shuts this down.
2: Oh, (laughs) we're we're still not done. We're still not done. (laughs) Players can use Polygon NFTs as utility items and freely trade them within the ecosystem. NFT collectibles can also be used to profile pictures and other ways by examining the world and finding various items. The NFTs allow players to access secret stories as holders can determine if they want to keep the secret or share the information with others. The game will have multiple endings. Although only three players meeting specific conditions will be chosen to participate in the final world mission to decide the fate of the world and its inhabitants. <gasps> Symbiogenesis will utilize the polygon network, which is described as highly sustainable. Blah 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 blah. blah.
1: Yeah, that highly sustainable. They want to make sure that the uh, the people who are going to come and complain about ecological impact of this, they have something that they can point to.
2: Yes. So they 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 are claiming that this polygon network is carbon neutral, but the que- the first question to that is: Are you saying that because you bought carbon credits, which is usually mm-hmm. what it fucking means? It's you you are destroying the planet, but on paper they're not. Someone else planted a tree, so you're taking credit. Yeah, yeah. These NFTs. There's a lot of guff about why they chose these NFTs. Blah 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 blah
1: blah. But well, some of this is significant because, like, um, in this in this bit here, it's a symbiogenesis design from the ground up on the blockchain. Blah blah blah. Uh, opted into polygons' high transaction speeds, low gas fees, and overall user friendliness. Now, these are are three absolutely huge barriers that blockchain stuff needs to clear. And, and just to clarify this for the people who may not be as like in the weeds on how blockchain stuff works, but, but could use an illustration of why these are such high hurdles. For one, user friendliness. None of these wallet systems are particularly designed for mass usage. They are designed for an elite technical class of people who will feel smug about how smart they are and able to do this and can then turn around and look at people who can't figure out, you know, these minor technical roadblocks that have been established as somehow lesser. So that's what that's about. They're trying to broaden out accessibility on this.
2: And, and transaction speeds in particular is a big one because like traditionally with like your um yeah your bitcoins and whatnot, you would often have situations where like, ah, you want to send some Bitcoin to do a to do a purchase? Cool. It might take 25-30 minutes for the ledger to update and it
1: show up that you did it. <laughs> and this is by design, because you know th- yeah. there's there's a minimum uh transaction time on these that is Baked into the design, at least of uh Bitcoin specifically. Um, and I don't I, you know, there are other ways to do this. So I'm not gonna be here saying, oh, this is how they all are. But with Bitcoin in particular, that time gap is there to prevent fraudulent transaction on the system. It's to prevent conflicts. It's to basically take that transaction out, make sure that it is able to be. Placed into the system and then executed, so that's by design. And a lower transaction time doesn't necessarily mean less secure, but it might. It could also, you know, mean that more resources are being spent on it. Uh, there's a lot of things that that could mean, and I I would want to look into Polygon more directly. The one that has my attention is low gas fees. Hmm. Gas is the bit of the cryptocurrency that you're spending for the transaction to be executed. And this is, from a financial perspective, one of the biggest problems with a complex blockchain-based game. Is that in order for it to be meaningful, it's going to have to update the blockchain frequently. And every one of those updates to the chain means a gas charge. There are ways you can minimize it and get around it. Some of that puts, the, puts some risk of loss uh, on the player. Some of it puts risk of loss on the company. There are, again, many approaches, but there isn't one that I know of that gets around that inherent cost. And so... Low gas fees is – gas fees in general is something that you're going to be going to be very, very conscious of and how it's implemented into any of these things. Is it coming out of your pocket? Is it coming out of their pocket? I don't know, but it's coming out of someone's. Someone's paying every time data is immortalized on the blockchain. Yeah. So anyway, those those are three key things that I want to make sure that they just sort of tossed in. That I want to make sure that got some special attention because, yeah.
2: Yeah. So the only other thing I want to say about this is in all of that waffle we said, I can tell you two things about this game. It's turn-based. Yes. And people will have NFTs that have bits of the story. And if they decide that they don't want to share those, then other people just don't get to know that bit of the game's plot, which sounds like a recipe for, hey, people can hold bits of this game's story hostage unless they their nfts sell which sounds like the worst kind of microtransaction a microtransaction where the more dema- in demand a piece of the plot is a person can go nah you don't get no of this give me money you
1: know what it sounds like it sounds like the behavior of the sort of person who would buy a life-saving pharmaceutical necessary to keep a relatively small group of people but Existing group of people alive, and then jack the price up five thousand percent. It sounds like that's the sort of person because he's got he took he bought that fucking Wu Tang album. He bought, he took the Woo from us. <laughs> the last thing,
2: only three people get to see the real ending of this game, and you know what that means. Uh. We're doing the fucking Peter Molyneux What's inside the Curiosity Cube again? Yeah. Well, I look forward to seeing it. On YouTube, because it will get found.
0: Yeah. Even if the three people who see it, like, do their best to hoard it. Like, yeah, they'll get into it. And,
1: and it will be pointless. It will be
2: meaningless and dumb. Oh, yeah, it'll be shite. But, like, they're literally doing the, the, the fucking goddess thing, the, the Molyneux goddess thing. The three yeah. people that get to see the true ending will get to... Decide the fate of this new world They're becoming the god of gods from goddess
1: Get to do what? To do what exactly? What precisely are we doing? What is What is anybody doing here? All I know is that it is turn-based Which, by the way, it'd have to be
2: Yeah, because of the fucking NFTs Yeah, uh. that's that's not you. That,
1: <laughs> that's not a revelation We knew in some fashion It was going to be turn-based and asynchronous So... Well, I will just
0: say this about, like, whatever this ending is, right? Square Enix are not to be trusted. They are duplicitous. They have a history of lying. They have already screwed over multiple players.
1: But they haven't lied here because they
0: haven't said anything here. And they're more trustworthy than Peter (laughs) Molyneux.
2: At least. So it'll be better than that. I mean, at least they're being upfront about the scam. Are they? I mean, look, they're at least telling you that they're Peter Molyneux doing a goddess. Peter Molyneux didn't tell us in advance what he was doing.
1: (laughs) All they've not done is given me any information that I could point to later and say this was a lie. (laughs) I mean, if
2: it's not term-based, we can call it a lie. (laughs) How? But how would it be? Uh, How would... (laughs) I know, I know. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah... That, that's it. That's the news. We did it.
1: That is truly nothing. They have said nothing. It was so many words
2: for fucking nothing.
1: Mm. Mm, mm,
0: mm. <gasps> well, let's talk about the opposite of fucking nothing. Oh. Because, Laura, you've done fucking something. I have done fucking something. Mm. Oh, please tell us about it.
2: Uh, uh, the day that this goes up, February 16th, who Hunts the Whale releases, it is a novel I wrote with my wife about a person who finally gets their dream job in the video game industry, and then realises that the video game industry is not necessarily super good to the people making the art, and trying to navigate how do I love the thing that I love, but also navigate the harm it's doing to the people making the making the creative works. Go check it out, if you listen to this podcast, it is a book that is written with you in mind. Go read Who Hunts the Whale. I'm super fucking proud of it. Wr- wrote it with my wonderful wife, Jane. I love this book, and I really think people are going to get on with it, and fingers crossed. I-, I think we've done something real good here. Conrad, where are you on the internet? What are you up
1: to? Uh, oh, well, you can find me at Conrad Zimmerman on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you could also listen to me on Let's Talk About Snacks, um, and you should check out Red Planet, which is a podcast that I produce hosted by four very cool people where they talk about positive ways we can make a better world for ourselves. Uh, that's wherever you get podcasts. It also streams on Twitch. I stream on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Zimmerman. And everything I do online gets supported through Patreon at patreon.com slash Fistshark. And you know who else has Patreon? James Stephanie Sterling.
0: Aye, aye. Uh, patreon.com slash Jimquisition. That funds this, that funds the Jimquisition. Incidentally, if you've not seen it, uh... Do check out the recent Jimquisition episode called "Hogwarts: A Legacy of Hate."
1: Excellent. Oh, thank you. Excellent. By the way, yeah, I true. I meant to. I meant to say something to you about this earlier. The way in which you encapsulate this issue from a critical perspective, you know, and from from the perspective of having been a critic as well as a consumer and a person directly affected by it it really just covers all of the bases so directly and succinctly that i I think anybody who has any doubt or confusion really just need to watch it and that will solve it
0: thank you yeah yeah um yeah i'm really proud of it and the response has been amazing so yeah do check that out if you haven't i mean i I realize for some people it's hard viewing and they might want to avoid that like you know there's some really awful transphobic rhetoric in there and, and stuff not from me <laughs> uh, but from the the wonderfully charming people that we both quote and show footage of um but yeah do check that out we do reviews now uh once again after many years away thegymquisition.com That's where the reviews are. Uh, Should be having a Metroid Prime review up soon, and I'm definitely getting a Wanted Dead review up. Uh, Probably a Theater Rhythm one as well in good time.
2: I wanted to throw in quickly as well. In the coming days after this goes up, I I can't say exactly when I'll get it done because it depends how long it's going to take me to do. But I've got PlayStation VR two coverage coming up in the coming days, hopefully before release day next week, including an accessibility review. So look out for that coming up.
0: Cool, cool. Um, upcoming wrestling dates, just throw those out there. Uh, I have many wrestling dates co- uh, confirmed on my end, but I, uh, not many of them confirmed publicly. So the two public ones are March 18th in Blackpool at the Flamingos uh, Club, uh, interesting venue, Cold metal toilets. But March 18th, um, Blackpool, that's PCW. I'm taking part in their first ever Women's Roads to Glory tournament. Uh, God, I hope I uh, get Harley Hudson. Wrestling her is fucking fun. <laughs> but March 18th, Blackpool, PCW. Uh, March 25th, Leeds, True Grit Wrestling. That's a, a mustn't miss if you can get there. Priscilla and I have fought together at Spectrum. We will fight once again at True Grit, Leeds, March 25th. Best match of my career was was against Priscilla, and I'm looking to top it this time, as is Priscilla. It's it's just going to be amazing. Uh, Many more dates TBA, including a massive one in August that I just can't wait to confirm. But until then, well, not until then, until next week, not until August. That would be mayhem. We will see you next week, is what I'm saying. Bye. Bye. Bye.